630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Pinching will be Petrangelo Lindell. And lost it as Petrangelo pinched Thomas. Comes behind the back with it on the near side. To the blue line. Petrangelo over to Dunn. Quick shot and a wrister. They score! With Maroon in front. The shot from Dunn had eyes. And the St. Louis Blues score first in game seven. 6.30 to play in the opening period. And a couple minutes later, Matt's Zuccarello tied it up, and that's where we stand right now in the first intermission in that Game 7 between the Dallas Stars St. Louis Blues. Appreciate you sticking around. It's Brendan Escott in for Reed Wilkins tonight on Inside Sports. We're talking Oilers. The Oilers have their man. It is Ken Holland who was named this morning officially as the general manager and president of Hockey Operations taking the place of, uh, well, Peter Shirelli and then Keith Gretzky. So, We'll see how this all pans out. I think fans seem to be a little bit more at ease now that we know who it is and it is somebody who's well-respected across the league. Uh, I understand that a lot of his resume took place more than a decade ago. I can appreciate that and I can appreciate the concern that comes along with that. However, when you're at the general manager's meetings, Ken Holland is probably a guy you want representing your team. Don't you want somebody who's got, well, he's been at the general manager for three Stanley Cups. He's been around the team for four. We're talking 10 division titles, five conference titles, off the top of my head, four president's trophies. This guy, to me, gets it. We got some Edmonton prospects to take us to get away, but right in, to give away rather, we do that in a little bit here. But right now, I do want to turn the airwaves over to you. We've got some text messages coming in at 630, 630, and uh, we're going to open up the phone lines as well. 780-496-0063. Got a thought on Ken Holland? Got a thought on the new direction of the Oilers? Are you worried that this is Shirelli 2.0? What do you think? First off, we're going to go to Rick. Rick, appreciate you tuning in, my friend. You got some comments on Ken Holland. Yeah, you know, I think it's a good thing. I think Holland is, has got a reputation, plus he's got a lot of history. So I think it's a good move. You know, I think uh, Keith Gretzky, you know, in my mind, I think Keith Gretzky could, could, um, could learn under Ken Holland. And, you know, who knows how long Ken Holland might want to, you know, is it a five-year deal at so much money a year? But Gretzky could work his way into that position but i think you know the old boys club is what uh, is what the criticism is and it's unfair to keith gretzky to put him in that accepting that he's gretzky so at the end of the day they got to make the change but i think keith gretzky deserves a legitimate uh shot in a position within the organization under ken holland and uh you know as a apprentice in a sense and i think keith gretzky is a lot different than a wayne gretzky yet they, they need to clean house with the old boys club. There's just no question about that. And I think Daryl Cates is the one that's responsible, and hopefully Holland will do that. He'll remove and uh, set a new tone. But I don't think it's fair to Keith Gretzky to, uh, 
to not give him a shot. I've said enough, and I enjoy your show. Thanks. Thanks very much, Rick. Uh, yeah, I, and I tend to agree with that. And it's not as if Keith Gretzky wasn't being strongly considered for this position. At the end of the day, I believe this came down to how proven Ken Holland has been. And uh, again, I, I say that with the caveat of, yes, it's been quite some time since he was a dominant general manager in this league, but he has proven that he can put together a winner. And one other thing, he really talked about stability, and that's something that we know he can bring. He was with the same organization for 36 years. Keith Gretzky, I do believe as well, as as to Rick's point, will be a great general manager and doesn't need to be uh, associated with Wayne at all. But right now, it wasn't the right fit for the franchise. I think that that was determined by Bob Nicholson, and they wanted to bring in the man with more clout, the man that can get it done. And that's not to say that Keith Gretzky isn't going to stick around in an assistant general manager's role. My understanding is that they would like him to. So that's going to now be on Keith to see whether he wants to slide back into the AGM position or if he wants to take his career a different direction. Keep the text coming at 6.30, We're going to go back to the hotline and bring aboard K-Jam. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, K-Jam, we usually talk on Oilers now, and here you are calling Inside Sports. My friend, what's on your mind? Yeah, well, we, we usually talk before I talk to Bob. That's true. You know? That's true. It's true. You know, I mean, but, uh, I mean, it's, it's nice to get on with uh, the best part of that show today. Um, albeit at a different time. <laughs> Just spoken a little bit, it. Bob. Much um, appreciated. Yeah, you know, I, I think that there's there's... There's ample reason for pessimism, but I don't think that that's really going to solve any problems. I don't think that's really going to suit what we need right now. I think that with, with Ken Holland, what you have to realize is that the Oilers organization has lacked a lot of credibility within their front office um, and stability for a long time. And, you know, the, the kinds of relationships that he has and the experience that he has and the, the seeming open, the seemingly you know, open nature he has to be able to, to speak with other people and, you know, take input and do the back and forth that, uh, you know, a lot of good decisions by good decision makers are, are brought to by, you know, should should have some, you know, bearing on, on, you know, how hopeful people are about the new general manager and, you know, to, to completely just reflect on the last few years um, under his, uh, under his, you know, management in Detroit, uh, and people point at the, the, the salary cap issues um, there. Well, you know, the, the thing was is that there's, there are a lot of mitigating circumstances. I think that you brought up some of them early on the show today, and I've seen some other float, others floating around. And um, I'm not saying that that's necessarily an excuse, and certainly everybody makes mistakes, but I think there's a lot of reason for, for optimism in terms of, of relationships with, with other teams moving forward and being able to get things done. You're very in tune, K-Jam. I think the exact same thing. When they go, like I said, to, to the general manager's meeting or just having that voice representing this club, I think Holland is the guy that uh, that brings that credibility that you're talking about. Now, let me ask you this. did you Do you feel more confident today in that decision after having heard him talk? I know that guys can say whatever, but what did you think of that? Did it instill more confidence? No, you know, I wouldn't say that I, I would I would feel any more or less confident about it, other than that he seemed to reinforce that he's he's a little bit of a, a group think guy in terms of being able to bounce bounce decisions off people and, and to talk to, you know, his group and, and uh his connections. I think that that's something that, you know, it's nice to hear reinforced. And I think that that's probably where, you know, someone who, who may um, recognize, you know, that, that he's that somebody that you've made mistakes in the past, or that uh, you know you have room for improvement. 
uh, can find that improvement. And it's not always internally within the individual. Sometimes it's it's opening yourself up and, and allowing to allowing yourself to, to look at what other people are saying and find the sense within it. Let me ask you one more question here, and that is um, he, he made one more comment today, and he said that autonomy was imperative. If he was going to sign here, if he was going to come here, he needed the autonomy. Given that he's not a part of the old boys club necessarily, as we've been floating around for you know years on end, uh, do you get a sense that there is going to be some real autonomy in the decisions that he's going to be making going forward? Well, you know, I think that the danger in that there's there's a double-edged sword here because I'm not entirely convinced that you're going to see a lot of changeover from from some of the positions uh, or, or in terms of personnel in in that area. You might see additions, you might see the odd subtractions here and there, but I, I think that you know the the benefit to the organization and the benefit to, to Ken Holland here is that if if other people are around, that's more talk, that's more opinion, that's more you know, people to bounce ideas off of and, you know, whatever people think about, you know, the so-called old boys club, you know, there's, there's certainly a level of experience and credibility that exists there too. It's not, it's certainly not at the level of, certainly with credibility at the level of, of Ken Hitchcock. But I mean, like, you know, when you're, when you're talking about hockey problems to have hockey people to talk to, I think is is good, and to have people that have some understanding of the local market, just and that and that's just the thing. You know, sometimes you talk with people that you disagree with, or people that have different opinions than you, so that you can you can find out. You know, you can pick the holes within you know what what your opinions are, and also find the strengths. Um, you know, by speaking to those people. So, uh, I, I think that having autonomy means that that he has the decision at the end of the day. And the only danger is is that if if somehow there's uh, there's power you know, uh, somewhere else, and it rears its ugly head in Ken Hitchcock's, or not Ken Hitchcock, Ken Holland's face. And I, I don't really see that being the situation with a guy that, with the credibility and the, and you know, the, the standard that Ken Holland is. I think that that's, I think that even any any of the best people within the Oilers organization would, would yield and say that he has, he has the experience and he has the higher ground. Always appreciate your insight, KJ. Thanks for calling in, man. Thanks for having me. That's a frequent Chad listener. That is Kay Jamini. He raises some good points. Just having a different voice in there to sort of bounce those ideas off of the people that are already in place, get an outsider's perspective on this market and what, what, you know, can happen or what should happen or whatever. You're just making a decision with a new set of eyes. And conversely, Holland has the luxury of relying on people who know how this market works and and know uh, how this team functions and have been there a long time. So um, introducing somebody new to the fold, I think, introduces a nice new blend, if you will. And I don't see that being a bad thing for this team. Of course, everything right now is speculation. That's very important to remember. We talked off the top a little bit um, you can say anything in a press conference, and I think Holland said a lot of the right things, but he's also been doing it for a long time, so he knows what the right things to say are. That's how I see this. So let's let's see, number one, who he's going to hire as a head coach. That'll be a, a very impactful decision on this young roster. I know Todd Nelson is, has been a name that seems to be becoming the favorite amongst most. Dave Tippett is a very defensive-minded coach who would uh, fix some of the problems, I think, on the back end from, uh, from last year. And there might be some roster changes to go along with all of this sort of thing. Then you look at the draft. Well, who do they take? Is it the best player available? Do they have to fill a need? Would they take a Cole Caulfield, who's a very undersized but incredibly talented American winger who might be there at eights this year? 
We're going to see very quickly what direction Ken Holland wants to take this team. A couple texts coming here on the text line at 6.30, One out of Edmonton. Uh, this is from, no, we are, we're nameless on this one. I listened to all the talk with the new GM this morning. It would seem that when deciding on how to build an elite team that is successful during the regular NHL season does not necessarily mean that successful follow that team in the playoffs anymore as the present playoffs are uh, certainly demonstrating. Which direction do you go? Do you take the heavy team or do you take the fast and skilled team? That is a very tough question and it's been tough to identify that with these playoffs specifically, which I think the texture is alluding to because we've seen different styles win out. Out West, uh, that San Jose series, well, they San Jose's got a pretty good blend. They can, they've got some guys who can move on that back end, but... You know, I look at a guy like Evander Kane. He plays heavy hockey. You look at what Boston does. Boston has played heavy hockey f- since when Peter Shirelli was there. Look back to the 2011 Cup Final in Vancouver. They beat the Canucks with heavy hockey. They beat them into the ground. And they broke the hearts of a lot of hockey fans out in Vancouver. So to see that still winning is is very interesting. But I don't think Carolina plays a very heavy brand of hockey necessarily. And look where they're at. Personally, if I'm making this decision, I'm trying to win. I'm trying to win in the modern NHL. You know what I mean? I want a fast team. I, I want. I want Connor McDavid to be surrounded by people that can keep up. He's itching for somebody, and you, you want to sit there and say that Leon Drysaddle needs to drive his own line. Fine, but Connor needs to have somebody who can skate with him. So, I think that fast hockey is the way to go. But it's about balance. I look at Zach Cassian, who plays a very balanced game in terms of, boy, he can fly. But I don't need to tell you how heavy a hockey he can play. So if you can find some players like that, and I think of guys like Michael Furland, I think of guys like Josh Anderson. Obviously, we know what Tom Wilson can do with a size and speed blend. These guys in the NBA, they're called unicorns, right? It's this unbelievable skill set to mix with size. You don't find that all the time. So that's going to be uh, maybe a priority of the scouting department, I would think. But if I have to prioritize one of those two, it's got to be speed right now. One more here before we head off to a quick break. Hopefully you can provide me with an answer, says the texter. Why do all Oilers fans get smeared with being so negative because of social media? I love this team and I back them 100%. All the negative people are the only ones being heard and it's not right. Go Oilers. Sincerely, David the Wicked. Yeah, I hey, unfortunately, we know that the squeaky wheel gets the grease and it's a lot easier. If you've ever looked at a set of Google reviews, you know it's a lot easier to be negative online and especially when I see a lot of people on Oilers Twitter, as we like to call it, hiding behind avatars and whatever and just spewing toxicity. And I personally, look, I don't, I don't like what that creates and you're never going to be able to stop that. To answer your question, David, the people who appreciate this this team and really back it, they just need to be a little bit louder, I suppose. And hey, yeah, I can fully appreciate that the team needs to give you something to be louder about. I don't like that it's the the 5 or 10% that formulates the opinion of most. It sucks. But if with success will come positivity. And that's where we'll leave that. 7.20 here in Edmonton. We will take a quick time out. Back to a couple more texts. It's Brendan Escott in for Reed Wilkins on Inside Sports. 
Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Brendan Escott in for Reed Wilkins tonight. We've had the Oilers blinders on big time. I haven't even mentioned that the Raptors are up 21 points at last look in game five over the 76ers. Yeah, halftime here, 64 to 43 for the Raptors. That series tied at two games apiece. Blue Jays, meanwhile, they are uh, trailing in the eighth inning, headed to the ninth now, 3 0. They're down to the Twins. Uh, in the NHL, just the one game seven tonight. We're uh, about halfway through that second period now. Blues on a power play. Tied 1-1 with the Stars. It's been, you know what, even if you're not a fan of there being no Canadian content in the NHL playoffs, there's been some fun storylines, some fun games, fun series to watch. Uh, Wouldn't it be remarkable, though, if Dallas is a wildcard team, makes the conference finals in Carolina, of course, out east. By the way, uh, Carolina-Boston, Thursday night, right here on 630 Ched, we'll be picking up coverage of the conference finals as well as the Stanley Cup finals, as we do every year couple more texts we can rattle off here. Uh, this one from Edmonton right off the top of the show. The best thing about hiring Holland is that he can clean house in hockey ops. They did say today that he does have some autonomy to make those kinds of decisions. Now, hockey ops, well, what does that mean? That can mean scouting. It can mean assistant general managers. Basically, anybody underneath Holland is my understanding. Uh, coaches, etc., etc. And... Some bands more than others suggest that there's a serious change needed there. I don't know if he's going to be as brass as to come in, in the, and just clean house like that. I, I don't know if that's the play. I don't know if that's the move that Holland's going to make. And we talked, uh, KJAM brought it up earlier on the, on the hotline. You kind of need some people who understand this market to help guide you through it, and particularly a market as passionate as the Oilers fan base. Camrose Flint, always so enthusiastic and formed, he says of me. I appreciate that very much, Flint. Now that Ken Holland is GM and Prez, what will Bob Nicholson's role be? If any. Hmm. I think that remains to be seen. Hey, we've got tickets to give away. Edmonton prospect tickets to the home opener, to the first texter, to text prospect, no S, prospect, to 6.30, 6.30. We'd love to hook you up. We're talking Eskimos and CFL on the other side of a break. It's Brendan Escott in for Reed Wilkins on Inside Sports. We're off to a global news update with Cassandra Jodwin. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 6.30 Chan. Hosting inside sports tonight, Reed Wilkins out, Dave Campbell out, the third stringer up here in action. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, we've been talking a ton of Oilers, but the Eskimos also had their AGM today, and as part of that, some numbers from the Grey Cup were released, and there's some sparkling numbers. And to speak to that, we bring aboard uh, Dwayne Viano, 
who is uh, formerly of the Edmonton Eskimos, now working with the CFL. And you were uh, basically, or Dwayne, can you um, sort of explain your role? I, I read you're like a lead consultant in, in terms of the actual festivities of, of the Grey Cup in Edmonton this past year, but maybe just clarify that for the listeners. Yeah, so I just just finished um, running Grey Cup. I was the executive director for the last Grey Cup in Edmonton in uh, 2018. And then after uh, that, uh, just recently, I joined the league, the CFL, as um, with a newly created position, which is called the Chief Grey Cup Officer, which was um, to basically look after Grey Cups um, every year. Um, and so it's, uh, it's quite the honor, and I'm very excited about it. And uh, it, it's quite a step up, in my understanding, Dwayne. Maybe we'll break down the numbers here. Grey Cup in Edmonton, I understand it was the best in terms of uh, revenue generation. It was just a tremendous success. Uh, maybe just go through some of the, what made it so successful here in Edmonton this time around. Yeah, so we, um, just to put it in a bit of perspective, in, in the last time we hosted Grey Cup in 2010, um, we generated a net uh, profit of $5.1 million. And this year's Grey Cup in 2018 generated a, a net income of just over $7 million. But the difference is that we just, this is the first year of a new model um, uh, that the CFL has been working on for a long time, but it's a revenue share model with all the clubs. So the host um, keeps a percentage of that net profit, and then the rest is shared with all the clubs around the league. Interesting, and that's uh, what do you? What sparked that uh, that changeover when you when you start to shift to to maybe help out some of the smaller markets? Or no, I think uh, I think what happened was there's some clubs that for whatever reason haven't uh, hosted a Grey Cup in a long time is one of the reasons. So you know Hamilton um, hasn't hosted a Grey Cup since 1996, and so there's been clubs that have hosted two maybe three Grey Cups since then. So there was, um, you know, it could be a reason because of stadiums. There's lots of many reasons that, that they haven't hosted. But now it's, it's a bit of a fair model. So if you, if you don't have the opportunity to host, you can't host, then you do take part in this revenue share model and, and get to um, benefit from, the, from the, the, you know, the league's sort of the biggest resource it has, if you will, in its championship game. But it, it, again, it's just a share. It makes everyone stronger. It makes everyone a little bit more equal as it relates to the financial side of the, of the sport. So I'm looking at the, the numbers here, and it says a total economic impact of more than $81 million. Now, that's when you've got people in the city and you're, you're interacting in the downtown core and you're interacting with the festivities, um, not even the game itself. You're staying in the hotels, you're eating at the restaurants. That's what that number is comprised of. Is that correct? That's correct. So, yeah, it's, it's truly an economic impact number. So um, it's, it's based off of the CFTA model, which is the Canadian Sports Tourism Alliance. And um, it really is out-of-town visitors, outside dollars coming into your market and uh, spending money in, into your market. There was over, it was reported that over 30,841 30, visitors came from out of market and their spend alone was $29 million. So um, there's a lot of factors that roll into economic impact, but it was hugely successful. Um, it's about, uh, I can't remember the exact number in, in 2010, the last time we hosted, but it was in the 70 million range. So it's substantially higher and um, it, was, it was obviously higher from last year's Grey Cup. So it was, it was a very, very successful, um, you know, 430,000 plus fans 
attended all the events, including including the game itself. And uh, so, yeah, just a real good financial reward, if you will, for the city of Edmonton and the whole province of Alberta. Dwayne Viano on the line right now is one of the masterminds behind what a uh, precedent-setting Grey Cup, uh, 106th Grey Cup in Edmonton back in November. Uh, I had the pleasure of taking it in. Just the game itself was the the atmosphere, the buzz around the city was fantastic. But I get the impression it was a lot of the extracurriculars that happened even in the week before the Grey Cup that really made it so special. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you know, we really kicked it off on, um, there was a kickoff party on the Wednesday and, um, uh, you know, the sort of the, the cup arrived, if you will, on the Tuesday. So Grey Cup is becoming more and more it's getting closer to being a week-long celebration, and and obviously that contributes to that economic impact. You know, if someone comes in a day earlier, it just increases those overall spending dollars into your market. But yeah, hugely successful. Almost every event that we had uh, sold out, and our gala dinner had over two thousand people at it, and the concert on Saturday night was sold out with five thousand people. There were so many people on Saturday uh, in the in the festival. So we almost had to shut down Shaw Conference Center because we were close to hitting not room capacities, but overall building capacities for the Shaw, which they tell me has never happened before. So uh, just uh, we it, it created a, a real buzz across the country, and it also created a real buzz in the market. So um, uh, we're uh, obviously the numbers today sort of showed all that. Can you speak to what uh, what you guys did that was unique about Grey Cup uh, 106 versus uh, things that had gone on in years past that made this one so special? Well, we wanted to add, you know, Grey Cups, the traditional pieces of Grey Cup that happen every year, you know, there's always uh, the team rooms, like the Spirit of Emerson as an example. Um, there's, you know, usually a gala dinner in every market. There's the CFL Awards um, every year, and some cities do a parade, some don't. Uh, there's there's a, obviously a festival, but where the local communities and each market uh, sort of puts their local twist onto things is usually around the festival. So we did things. Um, well, we brought back the zip line. We did the zip line in 2010. We, we saw it at the Olympics in Vancouver. And we brought it back to Edmonton. It was hugely successful. And it, it was sort of a key driver. People wanted to come try it, and it was free. And so we had the zip line again this year, but the only difference is we went over the River Valley and uh, a bit of a different view than being on uh, on Sorensen Churchill Square. But then we added a tube slide built out of scaffolding. We added a ski hill that we built out of scaffolding and a special snow surface from uh, from Europe. Um, we did a bungee jump off of a off of a tower. So we added all these attractions that you could come do for free. And you know there was a, a live entertainment stage that was had music programmed from eleven in the morning to nine o'clock at night. So really, just a lot of uh, it was really a true celebration. Comes 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 to you know do something that you wouldn't normally get to do, and it was free. So it, it, you know the, the 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 formula seemed to have worked. I'm curious what you learned uh, having put on such a successful event that you're going to be able to take forward into Calgary next year, Regina the year after, and then Hamilton as well. Yeah, like, you know, sort of what we're trying to do is obviously um, learn every year and pass on those key learnings to, to the next market. So, uh, you know, this these kinds of things really worked and maybe these things didn't work as well, if you will, and let's focus on what works and constantly trying to build a brand. We're really trying to make 
Grey Cup bigger and better every year from a brand and events perspective. And, but at the same time, look at ways to increase the economic activity about the event. And at the end of the day, if the event is successful and we're making it bigger and better every year, then uh, it also then contributes to the team's uh, through a, a revenue share model and makes just the league that much stronger. So um, the television audience was great as well. You know, there was 8.4 million people um, watched the game at peak. So uh, all in all, just a, a very, very successful event. But the key learnings is everything. We're just always trying to improve and, and do things. And here's one of the examples is we we dabbled in the esports um, market a little bit in Grey Cup and in this last year, we, we put on an esports gaming event in on in a tent, basically on inside the festival site, and and so you know Calgary is looking at how do they make that bigger and better and attract that new sort of audience, if you will, and looking at things that we did that they liked in the festival that would fit in the Calgary market. But what can they do a little differently to? to make those those attractions. They're doing things like they've announced they're doing the first ever Grey Cup Rodeo. And I can guarantee you there's people um, from across this country that never been, have never been to a rodeo before. So now they get to go to Grey Cup and also participate in a rodeo. And it, it's really sort of uh, a grassroots initiative that comes out of Calgary. So that's really the goal is do what works and then add the local flavor every year to make it sort of bigger and better. We've got Dwayne Viano on the line. He was the executive director of the Grey Cup Festival. One more for you, Dwayne, and it's sort of the elephant in the room in the CFL community, of course, this collective bargaining agreement. Uh, uh, they're trying to work out a new one for this upcoming season. No doubt in my mind that you're sort of just planning as if everything is going to go without uh, go off without a hitch for, for Calgary in 2020, is that, or 2019, I should say. Is that fair to say? Yeah, 100%. You know, obviously that's not in my area, but, um, we, you know, where everyone's planning on just, uh, you know, having a season this year, obviously, and, and having great cups. So um, that's something that, you know, I don't think about on a daily basis. We're just planning forward. And, and you know, in Calgary, I was in Calgary this morning, and they had a big pancake breakfast and a kickoff, and uh, the tickets officially went on sale today for uh, this year's Grey Cup in Calgary. So, yeah, it's full forge ahead. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time to break that all down, Dwayne, and I'm sure we'll have you on in the near future, okay? Yeah, thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. That is uh, Dwayne Viano, who's the executive director of the Grey Cup, now working with the CFL. Again, they, they had so much success with the Grey Cup here, the 106th Grey Cup in Edmonton, that he actually ended up uh, landing a job with the entire league as, as the head of that moving forward. 7.45 here in Edmonton. We will wrap things up. Uh, we'll touch on a couple other things. The AGM for the Eskimos specifically did take place today, and that was the reason that we had uh, Mr. Viano on. I'll break down a couple of the pieces of information or maybe what didn't come out of that when we return here on Inside Sports. Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. Brendan Esplot in tonight for Reed Wilkins. We're in the home stretch. Just heard from uh, formerly the executive director of the Grey Cup Festival, Dwayne Viano. He did work for the Eskimos uh, a few years ago, if you were wondering about that. And it was the most successful Grey Cup they have had. So successful that uh, Mr. Viano was actually promoted 
to a league employee now so they can keep uh, keep running with what made Edmonton so great. But uh, the annual general meeting did take place today. Uh, many people expecting that a new president would be named. Of course, Len Rhodes stepping out of football into politics. Uh, no such announcement yet. And according to our Brian Hall, no such announcement expected really in the near future either. So... Take from that what you will. Obviously, they're doing their due diligence, excuse me, in finding the right guy. But uh, a couple things did come out of that. So a $2.8 million profit for the Eskimos last year. $2.8 million in the black for a team that didn't make the playoffs. Eskimos fans, round of applause to you. That is absolutely excellent. They... Uh, they had a little more operating revenue, it looks like, uh, just an increase over 2%. Uh, I won't go too much into the numbers here because it's not especially important. But uh, one other thing that did come out of this was uh, Janice Agrios will take over as the new board chair, and she steps in place of Brad Sparrow, who has now stepped down. So there you go. Those are the two big pieces of news, and then, of course, a lot of talk about how successful that Grey Cup was. Raptors still laying an absolute beatdown on Philly. It's 86-63 here late in the third quarter in a pivotal game five in Toronto. Uh, can we talk about Kawhi Leonard for a second? Good grief. For somebody who we were worried was, when I say we as Canadian basketball fans, we were worried about this guy and his dedication to playing in this market. He's having an all-time series. I think he's up over 38 points per game, carrying this team on his back right now through the second round. Very impressed. Stars and Blues in Game 7 as well in the NHL. 40 minutes in the books. They're tied up at 1. The Stars managed only one shot on goal in the second period. Ouch. Getting doubled up in the shot department. 28-14 St. Louis leading that one. Dallas not expected to be where they are at, simply put. But hey, this is anything can happen when you get into the playoffs. And that's why, you know, I, I do believe that that's part of the frustration now for Oilers fans as you've seen Carolina do it. Who? Carolina in the conference final against Boston. Curious to see how that plays out. Obviously, you know, kind of a clash of styles, in my opinion. Boston playing typical heavy Boston hockey. We had this debate a little earlier in the show. Is it speed that makes you more successful? Well, maybe not in the playoffs as much. You need to be able to crash and bang. That's how Columbus got past Tampa Bay, isn't it? A couple more texts here we should get to. At 6.30, 6.30, you got any final thoughts here? Eskimos, Oilers, Raptors, Blue Jays are losing again to Minnesota. Otherwise... FC Edmonton and their Canadian Premier League home debut this Sunday... Edmonton Stingers, the new basketball team in town. They got their home opener on Friday night. And we just gave away some tickets to Rachel, who's heading to the home opener for the Edmonton Prospects. So while hockey has... I mean, it's never going to take a backseat in Edmonton, okay? We know that. But there's plenty else going on in this city as well. However... Of course, the text line is littered with Oilers talk, so let's get to a little bit of that. Uh, this is uh, Yakushev who texts in from Lloyd Minster. He says, The Oilers could have hired Homer Simpson, and it would have been an upgrade from Peter Shirelli. I hope Nicholson got it right this time. His reputation will also be in question. Most things seem to be in question with the inquisitive Oilers fans. 
My thing, listen, you got, you got to give this time to play out. You know, Reed Wilkins earlier in the show, yes, he was a guest on his own show. He said that it's going to probably look like two years down the road before we really know whether Holland is, has made a positive impact or not. He's got some work cut out for him. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But what I'm, I'm suggesting this to you as somebody who I try to approach things as objectively as possible, and we know that the fans don't, but give it some time. Don't jump all over it if they come out and lose a couple of games right out of the gates. Ken Holland needs time to work. There's been, there's been some trades made that we don't need to relive, but it has absolutely diminished the quality and the depth of this hockey team, and Holland needs some time to piece that back together. Ron from Lloydminster. A couple Lloydminster texts. I'll always be an Oilers fan and will support through thick and thin. These bandwagon jumpers and all these negative whiners are probably just Canucks or Flames fans just causing trouble. It's not as far off as some think. We need solid goaltending and improved defense. Holland is an excellent hire and we'll get things sorted out again from Ron and Lloydminster. I I think that they have as good a chance now as they have in a long time to to take some steps in the right direction. Even the the moves that were made this year by Peter Shirelli, I don't want to rag on him, but they sent this team in the wrong direction. They should not have traded for Brandon Manning. I think that's widely accepted. Probably shouldn't have made that move for Alex Petrovich, but they were also down Oscar Kleppbaum and Chris Russell at the time, so you can at least sort of understand that logic. Would Drake Kajula have been the difference between a wildcard playoff berth and not? Probably not. But the bottom line is they do have quite a bit to work to do. It starts with the hiring of a head coach. Uh, earlier today on Oilers Now, Bob Stoffer saying that he expects a, a decision to be made by June 1st. For those of you who want Todd Nelson behind the bench here, if that's the direction that Ken Holland wants to take, we'll see what happens tonight through in the final 20 minutes or maybe more of this Dallas Stars game. Of course, Todd Nelson currently the assistant coach of the Dallas Stars, so if they get bounced, then the window to approach and present an offer to Mr. Nelson will open up. If they end up sneaking into the West Finals past St. Louis here, well, then the waiting game continues. But I don't expect Holland to make any rash decisions, so we, uh, we it's a lot of wait and see now. This was the big day, and now everyone can relax and get settled in. Uh, another good text here. This one out of Edmonton. Any reaction from any of the players yet about the new GM? Does the GM get opinions from any of the players regarding a new coach? Reed Wilkins also brought this up. I suspect it doesn't quite work like the NBA, where we know that LeBron James, as Reed said, probably picks the coach. I don't think Connor McDavid even wants that responsibility. They've got enough good hockey minds working in the four four walls of Rogers place that they should be able to piece it together properly. Have some faith. A new day is upon us. Ken Holland, the general manager, president of hockey operations for the Edmonton Oilers. Plenty more reaction coming up tomorrow on Oilers now with Bob Stoffer. Craig Simpson will join him. That's from 12 to 2 on 6.30, Chad. Don't forget Thursday night, the Eastern Conference Final, Boston, Carolina, also on 6.30, Chad. You can keep it tuned in. I might be with you tomorrow night. I might not. We'll find out. Either way, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you, Brendan Escott. I was in for Reed tonight. Hope to talk soon. Good night from the 6.30, Chad Studios.
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.